Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 491 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Um, Today's episode is sort of a special one. I recently sat down and had a conversation with author Erin A. Craig. She wrote The House of uh, Salt and Sorrows. We actually don't talk about her book, though. Well, we do a little bit. Um, It turns out Erin and I share a love for the book Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And because there's the new Netflix special out, we decided to chat about Rebecca and our shared love of gothic um, horror and gothic literature and all that fun stuff. Um, and so that's what this is about. So this is all about, yeah, got that that really uh, fantastic, fabulous genre of, of gothic literature. Um, so we talk about Rebecca, we talk about her book, we talk about Mexican gothic, we talk about the haunting of Black House. There's a lot going on in this episode. It's it was so much fun. I'm so happy I got to to talk um, with someone else who loves Rebecca as much as I do. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds, and you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Um, I think that is everything for now. Um, I. I hope you have a lovely Monday. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Aaron Craig on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. I'm very excited because we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, with me, I have author Erin Craig. She wrote The Incredible House of um, Salt and Sorrows. While we are going to talk about her book a little bit, that's actually not why she's here. But first, thank you, Erin, for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, and I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but one of my favorite books is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And there's a new Netflix um, uh, movie that I think is actually out today on the day that we're, yeah, we're recording this. I know, um, I, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I know, I know. I was trying to figure, I'm like, will I have time <laughs> to watch it for this? Um, but you're also a fan of Rebecca. And so we're going to talk Rebecca. We're going to talk your book. We're going to talk about graphic novels. It's going to be a great time. Excellent. <laughs> um, My favorite things. <laughs> I know. There's so much good stuff. There's so much. Yeah. I read Rebecca. I remember I was, I think in like fifth grade. It was one of my oh, mom's, wow. it was one of my mom's favorite books. So I was very familiar with it. Um, and then I got it, I believe at a scholastic book fair. I have a a four-year-old and that was my favorite part of her going to preschool last year was getting the book fires I was like they still do this this is my favorite thing (laughs) do yeah and so they had it there and I bought it because I was familiar with it because of my mom and I just remember like there were certain parts where I would be reading it and I would come running out to the kitchen because I just (laughs) was just like what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> <keep> reading it. <laughs> yeah. So I, 
I guess like, I don't even know where to start with this. Um, yeah, I think for, you know, like Rebecca is just one of those books that's just like always been there. And I love that it's sort of getting this resurgence with the new Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see. I, I contemplated like staying up last night to midnight to watch it like drop. And then I was like, no, this is insane. Like I've got to be yeah. at the phone. <laughs> um, but I am really excited to see what they do with it. And like, I love looking at the different, um, the film adaptations that have come before. Mm-hmm. Like the, I just recently watched the, um, the Charles Dance, it's like 1997 BBC one or something. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And with um, with Georgina Darcy as, as the, the second Mrs. De Winters. And um, I loved, I forgot how much I loved it. Like um, Faye Dunaway has her appearance and then Charles Dance is like the sexy male love interest. Just cracks <laughs> me up more than I can possibly say. Right. Um, but I'm excited to see what they do with it and, and like whether we'll actually see ghosts like that's always the big thing like is it going to be a ghost is it a memory is it like you know the whole sheet and chains thing like I'm I'm excited to see what they do (laughs) me too I I'm in I'm particularly interested to see what they do with the ending because I know a lot of people are familiar with the Hitchcock version which changed the ending just slightly um for uh like to get around the Hollywood moral code it's a whole mm-hmm. so, uh, I'm like but I'm pretty sure they're probably going to keep the original ending and like what actually happened a little bit so yeah I'm I'm excited well, and, and also like which is it going to be like the, the my daughter's picking it <laughs> right. um like is it going to be like the actual book ending is it like that weird second epilogue that was kind of like also the prologue mm-hmm. um it'll be yeah I'm excited to see how, which route they go yeah I'm very excited for Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers when I saw her on the trailer I was like yes this is the perfect casting <laughs> it is so good it is so good it's just uh yeah I'm I'm really excited and it's just it just it it's just that book that's been around for almost 100 years and it's still so popular which I love and I you know like I've read it countless times and um I'm glad it's getting sort of a new audience. Mm-hmm. And I love, like, that's one of the books, like, I, I think my first time reading it, I was in high school, and I totally did not appreciate it, because I was like, bring on the ghosts, like, let's see how scary this can go. I'm like, where yep. is the ghost? Like, they just talk about it. Like, what's going on with this? This is not scary at all. And then um, later on in life, I've identified with Rebecca in ways I never <laughs> No, Rebecca, sorry, the second Mrs. DeWinters. Um, I identify with her in ways I never expected to because now I've become a second wife <laughs> um, and my husband is a little bit older than me and he is nothing like Maxim I preface all of this <laughs> yes yeah, so I'm I'm finding like as I reread like later on in life I'm identifying with the second Mrs. DeWinters a lot more than I ever expected to because like in my my early 20s you know she's just this very mousy like why doesn't she speak up for herself mm-hmm. and now like like having married an older man (laughs) and knowing that you know he had a wife before me like there's there's things like oh I totally get why you're not doing this because like why stir the pot (laughs) a lot of stuff and so totally like I think she still should have spoken up for herself quite a bit more (laughs) but there's definitely different it's 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 funny to see how the book grows with you uh, throughout the stages of life (laughs) yeah no for sure yeah 
Um, I think, and that was, I remember, that was sort of the first time I had read a book where you don't know the main character's name. And that was just from like a reading and craft standpoint. I was like, what is this? Oh, that was the first time I kept, because I was like, why don't they call her Rebecca? Why don't they call, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and I love having the entire title be this character that isn't really even there. I mean, right. she is, but she's not, but, but oh, I, the craft of, of Daphne, like, oh, I know. So it's, so <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. So I, it's sort of, you know, Rebecca kind of falls under this um, idea of like Gothic fiction. And I always have a hard time kind of describing I like I know gothic fiction and gothic core when I've read it but I have a hard time sort of defining it um my dad uh so the we we just finished watching um the haunting of Bly Manor Mm -hmm. which I think is beautifully and gothic and wonderful and everything I loved um, and my dad watched it also. And like at the end, I mixed my, I, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like the last two episodes, and no spoilers at all. Um, but like the last two episodes were like the most brilliant, beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I was crying and all this stuff. And my dad was just like, this was stupid. It wasn't scary at all. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's the beauty of it. And like, there's, there's one line that, that gives no spoilers away, but there, um, one of the characters says like, you know, you said you were going to tell me a ghost story and this was a love story. And then the, the, the narrator says, well, it's, it's both, <laughs> it's the same thing. And um, I loved that. And it just, that, that for me summed up all of the Gothic, everything. <laughs> like, so well, like it's a love story. It's a ghost story. Like they're, they're so interchangeable and entangled together. Um, and it's just kind of that quiet horror. Like if you, if you go into Gothic, fiction expecting the ghosts like I did in high school <laughs> you're yeah, gonna be disappointed yeah. um but I think like the older I get the more I appreciate gothic um fiction for just like that quiet understated horror of like you know this is this is a life and, and these are these horrible horrific things that can happen and no it's not necessarily you know ghosts going down the hall scaring you um but just like what your imagination can conjure <laughs> can sometimes be more scary than like what you would expect you know Stephen King to come like out of a closet <laughs> with a chainsaw or whatever at you <laughs> I like the description quiet horror that, that yeah and this idea of like a ghost story and a love story kind of all together um, and speaking of the haunting of Bly Manor, I, I remember on Twitter recently, um, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, who wrote Mexican Gothic, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she had a thing where people were saying, you know, people who had read, who had watched um, the haunting of Hill House were sort of expecting a very similar type of story with the haunting of Bly Manor. And she was talking about Gothic fiction and how it's, it's more of a slow burn because mm-hmm. it is sort of all kind of it's there, but not, and it's sort of more atmospheric and you kind of feel these things around you, but it's not going to be like jump scares. Like mm-hmm. you might get in other um, forms of, of horror. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that. I think I retweeted it because it was so beautiful. <laughs> I think so. I too. <laughs> She's so, uh, I love her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I love, um, I, I, I just, I really love that form of horror and, and there's so much like, 
I think there's so much like actual horror that happens in life that that people don't necessarily count as horror because it's not, you know, a monster or vampire or werewolf man chasing you, you know, across mm-hmm. the lavender covered moor or anything. Um, but I, I, there's at the end of Blind Manor, there, there's a moment where they're talking about, um, you know, that, that kind of thing on, on a wedding day when you kind of realize like, I love this person so much with all my heart and soul. Oh, they're going to die at some point. This is going to suck. <laughs> like, that's not like, that is the most terrifying horror of all is like falling in yeah. love with someone realizing like, oh gosh, this eventually is going, like it's till death to us part. That is kind of the culmination of everything. And like, that's what I love about the Gothic uh, novels is they, they do take that, you know, very awful real horror of life and, and just put it in a really beautiful way. <laughs> And, and, you know, obviously have like a really great house and costumes and, and gowns and things. <laughs> You've got to dress it up a little. <laughs> that is true. They usually do have really good houses. And, Wait, and their nightgowns? Like, where do they get their nightgowns? That's what I want. <laughs> like, oh, all the lace. I would get totally tangled up. Like, if I actually wore a nightgown like that, I'd never sleep because I'd be like trying to like smother myself with it. Right. <laughs> but yeah. my goodness, it would be fun to walk down a hallway with this. <laughs> With like you're just like holding one of the big like candelabras as you're like walking yeah. down. <laughs> and they somehow never catch all that lace on fire. Like it's it's a talent. <laughs> Being a gothic heroine is a very good, real talent. <laughs> it is a very it is a very real talent. Oh god, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Mexican Gothic I think is probably like the best book I've read so far this year. Mm-hmm. It's just. It, it encapsulates everything I love about the genre and but puts it in a time period and a place um, that I wasn't like I'm not at all familiar with and so I think she did a really good job of sort of combining these these two Mexican gothic I mean like it's in the title um, <laughs> but it was so well done and so good and I loved having like the time period in like or was it, like late fifties, early sixties mm-hmm. with everything because like you don't associate that necessarily. Like when you think of horror from that genre, it's you're starting to get kind of into the slashers, even kind of a little into the teen yep. teen slasher stuff. And like to have you know the the creepy quiet house and like the gaslighting and all this stuff like that's not necessarily the the horror that you associate with that time period. And I thought she pulled that off in such a beautiful way. <laughs> So so good, and like the the villain of it, like solidifies my my stance on pizza. <laughs> I've been right all these years. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that yeah, and I think, and like it sort of kept me guessing, which I liked mm-hmm. as well. Like you, like I could totally identify with the main character being unsure of who you can trust mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, which as someone who reads a lot, it's sometimes hard to sort of trick me, I guess is the best way to put it, because I see a lot of things coming, and I was like, oh, okay, but can Yeah, I, I, I definitely did not guess. Yeah. Do, like, yeah, because it was like, is it ghosts? Is it gaslighting? Like, what, what is it we're dealing with? And then when it all unraveled, it was like, oh, this was so good. <laughs> it, was, it was, for sure. Um, are there any other gothic horror novels that you really like? 
I really enjoyed, I am, um, I just did a big, um, September is Women in Horror Month, and so I was uh, going through and like my bookshelves are a disaster right now because I was pulling out all the women authors <laughs> everything, um, but I remember it was, I was going through everything, I recall I, I rediscovered um, Kirsten White's The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein, it came out three or four years ago, I think now. Um, and it's a YA retelling of Frankenstein, but as seen through Victor Frankenstein's like um, childhood companion friend who turns into a love interest. Um, and like, she doesn't know what's going on with him. She knows something's weird. And he's always been kind of like this creepy, mad scientist-y kind of child <laughs> who likes to experiment on, on awful things. Um, and then, like, you're seeing, like, uh, you don't see, like, the actual creation of the monster, you know, like, as he's building it or anything like that. But um, you see her at the their family estate and all of the things, like, she keeps his dark secrets um, for her personal reasons that get played throughout the book. Um, I love that book. It's so good. And, like, the ending, there's, like, just a little epilogue zinger at the end, which I love. And Kirsten White does this for very well. Um, and that one really, really stuck with me. And then my, I think my all-time favorite is like anything Susan Hill writes. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, I used to be uh, in theater. I was a production stage manager before I had my daughter. And um, I think this is my favorite show I've ever worked on. Um, and I've directed it a couple of times. I've seen it more times than I should probably admit to <laughs> as a play. Um, but the, the, woman of, uh, the Woman in Black, um, I just absolutely love um it's totally one of those like creepy english manners isolated because there's this causeway that goes underwater and so the house is cut off for a good portion of the day um and then it's just very much like is that a thing in the shadows is it shadows is it my mind like what's going on what is haunting me oh gosh this is horrible make it end <laughs> um i love her stuff because it's always very much like it could be a ghost. It could be my mind. Like, I think that the, like your mind playing tricks on you is, is one of the greatest spooky things <laughs> that you can yeah, read about because as a reader, you know, you start to, <laughs> to question things. I always, um, with all of the, the Hill House uh, and, and Blind Manor, like the, the, the like week after I watch those, like I find myself jumping around the house. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a ghost. No, it's the broom like sticking in a weird place. Why did you leave it there, Erin? <laughs> But like, like, I love that gothic part. It just gets into your head and like makes you start questioning what is that shadow and why is it moving closer to me? And oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love the haunting of Hill House. That, that freaked me out so much though. Um, and it was sort of that thing where you started to a second, like I started to sort of second guess what I was seeing and um, especially, you know, towards the end um, with the, the bent neck woman, I was like, oh, oh. everything I thought I knew, I don't. And now I don't know what my life is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, that was, and then Mike Flanahan does, does such an amazing job as a director like that. I think mm -hmm. it's, 
the fifth or sixth episode in it where it's like that continual shot like in and out of the mortuary and then the house and like how do you do that like that's just genius I I oh I love that I love rewatching that every time I get stuck on like a spooky scene I go back Mm -hmm. to that like okay this is craft this is what I want to try to achieve (laughs) and I remember reading so many um articles and watching videos after that episode just to fully understand like the it's like a ballet the way they they pull that off because everyone has to be in a certain place and they yeah it's it's like magic um, oh very much so and he would he I remember him tweeting about like like they had to be talking to the set designers like well in advance you know right. as like as the, it was being written and being like okay we have to be able to make the house go to this and like how to get all the pieces put together and like as a production stage manager, that was so fascinating to me because so much of our scenery, you know, is just like, okay, we need to be in this, mm-hmm. you know, opera set. And then we need to change all the sets. And it's like, oh, you're going to have them all interconnected. And oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of other books, I always um, sort of, along with The Haunting of Bly Manor, there was. Um, Ruth Ware wrote The Turn of the Key, which is sort of an updated version of The Turn of the Screw, which is sort of like modernized and set. It's It follows a very similar story. Um, it's in a house, she's a nanny. Um, you have the kids and weird things start happening. So, but it still kind of has that feel of, you know, the Gothic horror that you would expect, but it's set in a contemporary time. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part is that the house has a poison garden it is <laughs> which i was obviously every house needs that <laughs> which i was not aware was a thing prior to reading this book but there are such a things as poison gardens where instead of growing like lovely flowers you grow poisonous flowers and you know you have to be super careful when you go in there because these things could kill you <laughs> oh gosh yeah and like the spores and oh goodness no <laughs> um, uh, also yeah. uh an updated kind of um gothic uh twisty thing um the nesting by cj cook um is really good it's got kind of that thing where it's you've got an unreliable female narrator who like full-on comes out and says that she's lying about her identity <laughs> in the beginning yeah. and like for good reasons and or reasons I guess tm um and then uh she goes to become a nanny to these uh two girls um their mother passed away and it's in set in Norway <laughs> and so there's like all the fjords and you've got the isolated there's a house that they're staying in while like the manor is built Um, and there's all these weird things happening at the manor and it also combines a lot of like Norwegian folk tales and like fairy tales gone horribly wrong Um, and then you also see it through um, the mother who passed away and we don't know exactly how or why or any of those things Um, but we see her timeline period kind of uh, interconnected with the, the nanny's story and so like I love books where you, where it's got like the alternate timeline where you like you know something because someone else told you but the other person doesn't and you're like no just figure this out it's not that hard <laughs> um, but but uh, it's beautiful it's, uh, CJ Cook um, just rocked it it's it's really really good uh, for spooky season <laughs> that sounds good yeah it's like when you watch a movie and you're like don't open that door don't you don't what are you doing stay away from the door you don't know what's back there but I do (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so speaking of books that take place in big fancy houses, you have, um, you're the author of The House of Salt and Sorrows. Can you um, tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Sure. It's a young adult um, retake on the 12 Dancing Princesses by the Brothers Grimm. Um, there are 12 sisters at the beginning, uh, before the book starts. Um, when the book actually starts, we're down to eight. Um, and Anna Lee is the second oldest of the remaining sisters. Um, and up until uh, the page before the book starts, um, she has always uh, assumed that her sister's deaths have been very natural causes. One had the plague, one fell down a staircase because gothic heroine. And um, <laughs> so she uh, assumes, you know, she's a, their family has just had this really run of bad luck with the sisters. Um, but the latest sister fell off of a cliff in the middle of the night, and she starts to wonder if there's actually something more sinister afoot. Um, and as she starts to investigate that, her new stepmother um, has come to the house. Uh, her father remarried, um, and she finds out that she's pregnant, and so she wants to kind of end the whole mourning period that the sisters have been kind of in for most of their lives. Um, and so they start getting all these fancy dresses and stuff and they come out of their black clothes and, um, one, the oldest sister Camille realizes she, you know, she's going to become the head of the household at some point. She needs to find a man. <laughs> so sure. she, uh, wants to start going to all of these balls and things. Um, and they find this magic portal that takes them, uh, kind of anywhere in the kingdom where these, these really, um, exquisite balls are happening, um, and so at first, Annalie kind of goes along with this and like, oh, this is fun dancing. And then she starts to realize that something more sinister uh, um, is happening with these things. And the people that they're dancing with might not be people um, and maybe murderers. We're not sure. Um, and so she kind of sets out to solve all of these mysteries <laughs> going on at once. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that- fits right in line with everything we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. He died from seemingly natural causes, like falling down the stairs in the plague. I was like, sure, that's a thing. <laughs> Everyone does thing. thing. It's those nightgowns. They're too long. <laughs> she wasn't good at it. There you go. See, that makes sense. That's, yep. Um, she was on fire from the candelabra and just sure. all those stairs. <laughs> No, when you were talking about the, you know, getting out of the morning clothes and putting on their fancy party dresses, um, one thing in Rebecca that I am looking forward to them doing is the the costume ball. Where <laughs> I just, yes, the costume ball and the second Mrs. DeWinter dress, I am, I'm excited for Can't that. Wait to see what they come up with. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yes, I'm excited for that entire thing. So, um. Well, Erin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about gothic, uh, gothic horror with me. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, this was this is a lovely morning. <laughs> Wish we could talk about this every morning. <laughs> I know, I know. It's very rainy here in Ohio, and so I'm thinking like it's like really good weather to like drink tea and and watch the Netflix, Rebecca. So absolutely, I have yeah. to do that today now that it's now that it's uh it's here. So. I'm wondering if I can con my four-year-old into watching it. Like, look at the pretty dress. There's going to be pretty dresses. She looks like a fairy princess. It's going to be good. There are <laughs> <you know>. ghosts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much. And 
enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.